and welcome to Detroit Today. I'm Anna Marie Seisling, filling in for Stephen Henderson. Really good to be with you. If you are out on the roads, there is a lot of flooding, so take it easy out there and please be careful. So I don't know about you, but lately I have been experiencing what feels like about my millionth encounter with the foggy-headed feeling of burnout. Over the last year and a half, it's come to me in waves, and with the recent news of an uptick in COVID cases and aggressive new Delta and Lambda variants of the coronavirus, I can honestly say that the feeling has come to me yet again. But this time, it feels different. I've been more open about it and really pushing myself to be okay with not always being okay. And maybe it's because in recent weeks, there's been significant discussion around destigmatizing mental health. Thanks in large part to young female athletes, including Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles, who have spoken publicly about their decisions to prioritize their mental health over external definitions of success. Later in the hour, I'll talk with a writer who has been following this shift and a clinical psychologist who will offer her thoughts on whether she sees our society collectively moving toward truly prioritizing mental health. But first, last month marked 61 years since the FDA approved the birth control pill. At the time, oral contraceptives were heralded as a way to give women more autonomy over their bodies, family planning, and reproductive health. And yet, when we take a closer look, the history of birth control is fraught with inequity, and even today, the burden of reproductive health is still largely disproportionately placed on women. That's where I want to begin today's show, exploring the origins and politics of contraception and reproductive health. And just a content warning that this conversation will include topics relating to sex and sexual health. So if you have young people listening, please be advised of that. Joining me now is someone who has spent a great deal of time researching the history of the pill and interviewing hundreds of sexually active people about what they do or don't do to protect themselves. Dr. Crystal Littlejohn is a sociologist and author of the forthcoming book, Just Get on the Pill, The Uneven Burden of Reproductive Politics. Dr. Crystal Littlejohn, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So let's start with the history of the birth control pill. The invention of hormonal birth control, it was considered by many feminists to be one of the most important and positive changes to women's lives, and yet it was first tested on low-income women in Puerto Rico. Can you talk about the kind of complexity and problematic origins of the pill? A- absolutely. You you really can't talk about the pill and liberation without also talking about race and gender and class oppression. Uh, in the history of the pill, those things have gone together. Many people know about uh, how important Margaret Sanger was for the birth control movement, right? She was a really important figure who was instrumental for getting uh, the birth control pill to the public, but they're less familiar with how eugenics became a core part of her efforts to promote birth control, primarily by wielding the pill as a method that was important for reducing the fertility of black people. Um, And even fewer people know about initial testing of the pill in Puerto Rico, where it was done primarily on low-income women, and the pills had much higher hormones than we have in our pills today. Uh, But conducting conducting trials in, in Puerto Rico was also really problematic because population control was 
a really central focus for one of the scientists involved in developing the pill. And so obviously conducting testing on a low-income population of Puerto Rican women fits squarely into that agenda. So while the pill gives people of all races an opportunity to control their fertility, you know, the path to liberation has in many ways been paved by women of color, even as they faced really persistent threats to their to their own reproductive freedom. Absolutely. And in your book, I really appreciate the ways that you really explore this aspect of the pill's history, Uh, you know, taking into account and debunking the idea that uh, prescription birth control is beneficial for all women, you know, especially when we consider uh, things like race, age, geography, socioeconomic status. Talk just a little bit more about that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, our society applies intense social pressure to prevent pregnancy uh, only on people who can get pregnant, but not their partners. And those folks who are uh, who have felt that responsibility probably probably hear that and feel that very keenly. Um, And then just get on the pill. I show how birth control can feel less liberating than we might imagine it is. Uh, for many women and other people who can get pregnant. The average person worried about getting pregnancy spends 30 years trying to avoid it, and that means that they are preventing pregnancy largely by themselves uh, for decades of their lives. And so when it comes to thinking about age, we know that there are pressures on young people in this country not to get pregnant. But when we place the, the onus on the person who can get pregnant to make sure that it doesn't happen, that means that they're spending many tens of years trying to prevent pregnancy by themselves. When it comes to race, um, we see that we have this social approach to pregnancy that suggests that people who can get pregnant should use pre- prescription birth control methods like the pill. But in my book, I found uh, that black and low-income women were much less likely to believe that they should just have to use prescription birth control, uh, and they in- instead wanted their partners to help prevent pregnancy using condoms, which we know is also really important for preventing disease. But the broader messaging around birth control just doesn't make room for those people's experiences and really puts a lot of pressure on them to use prescription birth control instead of recognizing that what they really need and what they really wanted was to have their partners share responsibility for preventing pregnancy with them using condoms. And so the book really shakes up this idea that birth control use is always beneficial for all women and people who can get pregnant and instead shows that the ways that so broader social forces are operating in our society really affect how liberatory the pill can actually be. You're listening to Detroit Today. I'm Anna Marie Seisling filling in for Stephen Henderson. Talking with me now is Dr. Crystal Littlejohn. She's an assistant professor of sociology at the University of Oregon and author of the forthcoming book, Just Get on the Pill, The Uneven Burden of Reproductive Politics. And I want to hear from you. What are your thoughts on birth control? Do you have a story about when you first went on the pill? Do you feel like it's become more socially acceptable? And what do you think of the idea of male birth control? For male listeners, if there was a similar product on the market offered to regulate male hormones to prevent pregnancy, would you take it? Give us a call, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. Or you can always go on Twitter and use the hashtag Detroit Today to join the conversation. Now, Crystal, as you pointed out, uh, prescription birth control obviously changed a lot of things. One of those things being kind of placing the burden uh, disproportionately on women. I am curious, though, if you can talk a little bit about what people were doing before uh, the birth control pill first came on the scene. What other methods were people using before then? 
Yeah, the search for birth control methods uh, before the pill was definitely a trying one. Uh, before the pill, people used condoms, they used withdrawal, and they used diaphragms. Uh, but there were also efforts to market products to women that many people don't actually know about. Uh, but these methods that 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 were out there that were on the market uh, could cause burns to people's bodies uh, and that obviously uh, made it where people were really, really, really desperate for uh, methods like the pill, methods uh, like we have today, like the shot, that are just so highly effective and that don't put them um, at risk of having something like a burn to their body happening simply because they're, they're trying to prevent pregnancy. And so even though there, there were these other methods that were out there, like the condoms and withdrawal, uh, obviously there was nothing uh, that was nearly effective as the pill was. Um, and the pill was especially important because people didn't have to rely on anybody else uh, aside from, from the, their own uh, desire to use uh, the method to make sure that they could have access to it. I'm curious, you interviewed so many people in your book. Um, so I, I'm wondering, what do you think is the current state of our kind of collective sexual education? And how does that line up with levels of sexual activity in this country? Yeah, I, the state of sexual education in our, in our country, I would say, is, is abysmal. Um, I think that we don't have nearly enough people uh, understanding um, what uh, equal relationships and sexuality look like. We don't have hardly any focus on trying to have people, young people and older people alike, um, experiencing sexual relationships that feel healthy and that feel joyful to them. And then adding on to that just knowledge of contraceptives uh, is is we're, I would say that we're even even further behind there in trying to make sure that people understand the methods that are available to them um, for for all kinds of different bodies rather than just relying on a gendered approach to pregnancy prevention. And so, even though obviously there are many people engaging in sexual relationships in the country, I think our knowledge about how to have healthy, uh, loving sexual relationships and and caring sexual relationships. Uh, is is much is much further behind than it should be. Sure, I'm wondering if you can talk just a little bit more broadly about what prompted you to write this book now in this moment. Yeah, I I wrote just get on the pill to give voice to countless women who have been really frustrated um, with uncaring partners and others who undermine their contraceptive freedom. And I knew that their experiences are just hidden snapshots of what people face every day. And so even though um, we don't talk about people's experiences using birth control and we don't see it as just one more of the pernicious ways that gender affects people's lives, in over 100 interviews, women told story after story about just what it felt like to be carrying a really gendered burden of preventing pregnancy. And they talked about men that they cared about who completely disregarded their needs. Um, there, Just to give us some example, there's the woman uh, who mentioned regularly having to take emergency contraception because her boyfriend would remove the condom without her consent. Or there's another uh, who was upset with her partner verbally abusing her because she wouldn't, quote-unquote, just get on the pill so he could stop using condoms. And I knew that their challenges stem from bigger issues in our society that affect millions of women, but yet we don't 
talk about that. And so when I was conducting uh, these interviews with the team and reading the interview transcripts, I just knew that I needed to give voice to their experiences so that other people out there in the world who were experiencing this knew that they weren't alone, but also so that everybody else could just have awareness about what's going on for people that they really just may not even know about. 313-577-1019. Again, the number is 313-577-1019. What are your thoughts on birth control? Call and tell us if you have a story about when you first went on the pill and if you feel like it's become a more socially acceptable thing as time has gone on. And what do you think of the idea of male birth control? If you have a story, you can go on Twitter, use the hashtag Detroit Today, or give us a call 313-577-1019 and join the conversation. So, Crystal, like I was saying a moment ago, you did talk to so many people for this book. I'm wondering, um, aside from some of the kind of anecdotes that you've already mentioned, what really stood out to you in the conversations with the people you spoke with? Let's uh, let's start maybe first with the men. Yeah, so the interviews that we did were with women, and they talked about their experiences with men. And I found it really surprising that their partners felt really oblivious about how hard using birth control was for women in the study. Uh, birth control causes a lot of unhappiness and frustration. We know, obviously, it also causes a lot of joy as people can prevent pregnancy, but it, when they're dealing with side effects, when they're dealing with some of the hassles that come along with preventing pregnancy using birth control, it can also cause unhappiness and frustration. Uh, and the partners in the study just didn't seem to have as much awareness of that experience for their partners. Uh, and so it was largely up to women to just keep preventing pregnancy using birth control control that they may not have uh, felt satisfied with. And I found that particularly striking because in my own research that I've done over the years, studying dissatisfaction uh, among hormonal birth control users, I found, for example, in one study using a big nationally representative data set that almost 40 women, 40% of women who had ever used hormonal birth control that were between the ages of 23 and 44, they had, they had ever stopped it because they felt dissatisfied with it. And other research shows that almost half of women stop or stop using or switch their birth control within the first year of use. And so I found it particularly striking that uh, partners weren't aware of these experiences that the women in the study talked about very openly with me. Um, But I also found it striking that as a society, we often hear about how some men don't like condoms, but we rarely talk about women's experiences with dissatisfaction with birth control. And that just kept coming up again and again uh, in the interviews. And so I found it Uh, especially striking that women just kind of persisted in in their use of birth control um, and didn't necessarily see it as um, something that was part of this gendered labor all the time. They They saw using birth control as part of their gendered labor. They didn't necessarily see using birth control despite the satisfaction as part of their gendered labor. And I found it striking that it's just something that's so hidden in our society. Yeah. And I'm wondering, uh, in that same vein, if you can talk about the impact that it has on our society, that women really are socialized to believe that it is their responsibility to prevent pregnancy. I'm wondering if you attribute this uh, just solely to the creation of the birth control pill, or do you believe that there are other factors at play there as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think the first thing is just to be pretty frank that I think preventing pregnancy is a really hard job that most people 
don't want. They don't want to have to do it. And I think we have to be honest about that. The average person who can get pregnant that I was just mentioning spends 30 years trying to avoid it. And in my study, I've yet to meet someone who really enjoys using birth control. Uh, instead, as I was just mentioning, the satisfaction with birth control poses serious problems for women and people who can get pregnant. And so when we socialize people to believe that it's their job to prevent pregnancy, we really end up ignoring the realities that they face when they may not want to use prescription birth control, for example. Uh, they may prefer that their partners use condoms and they have much less uh, control over doing that if their partners know that they're using a method like the pill, for example, and that makes them feel like they don't necessarily have to use a condom. Uh, and we see that in our society in, in a broader sense, uh, where people believe that as long as a person is using a pill or the shot or the IUD, um, then there's no reason for their partner to have to wear a condom. And this really encroaches on people's reproductive freedom uh, takes away the freedom that they have to, to, use, to do with their bodies what they'd like to do with them. Um, and I think it, I do think it's related to the effectiveness of the pill. Um, I, I do think that because we have methods that are, are so effective, then it might seem like there's no reason uh, for people to have to use more than one method. Uh, but I also think that this is really about these bigger messages about gender that we see in lots of other domains of life um, and that we challenge in those other domains, but that we're just much less, to, much less likely to challenge in birth control. Uh, we're much less likely to say this is a problem that women, are, women and people who can get pregnant are expected to do almost all of the work, if not all of the work, to prevent pregnancy. Uh, and we don't have that same kind of acceptance in other areas of, of life. We challenge this in housework, we challenge this in caretaking, but we don't challenge this in, in birth control. And so I think that it is related to the effectiveness of the pill, but I think it's, it's more centrally related to ideas that we take for granted about gender every day. If you want to join the conversation, 313-577-1019. Again, that's 313-577-1019. What are your thoughts on birth control? Do you have a story about when you first went on the pill? And do you feel like it's become more socially acceptable? You can also go online to Twitter and use the hashtag Detroit Today to join the conversation. I want to go to the phones now. Jessica calling in Farmington Hills. Jessica, welcome to Detroit Today. What's on your mind? Thank you for um Speaking with me, I am most concerned. I went on the pill um, in, as a teenager when I was 15 and went on for reasons beyond trying to prevent pregnancy, but to address um, issues with my menstrual cycle. And I'm wondering if the book touches on the long-term effects that I'm most concerned that there, no one talks about the long-term effects to women's bodies when you are on the pill for any significant period of time. And I'm wondering if the book touches on that at all. Jessica, thanks so much for the call. Dr. Littlejohn, I'll, I'll put that to you. Um, can you talk a little bit about the long-term effects of uh, the birth control pill and the myriad reasons that uh, women do go on the pill, not, not only just for pregnancy prevention? Definitely. Thank you so much for that question. 
Uh, so we know that using birth control, e- even over the long term, is is safe. It, it's safe to use birth control um, for long periods of time. But as you're as you're raising, the it does create uh, questions and concerns for people. And that did come up in the book, where people talked about uh, wanting to take breaks from their birth control because they felt like they had been on hormones um, for too long, or they felt like they needed to quote unquote clean their body out. And the way that I think about this is less about the um, safety, per se, of the birth control method and more about how people are experiencing those methods, right? So rather than just saying, hey, it's safe to be on birth control, don't worry about it, I think it's really important that we take people's concerns seriously and we say, hey, let's talk about your feelings about being on birth control for long periods of time. Let's talk about the things that you're worried about happening um, so that we can diffuse some of those concerns or so that we can help you find a birth control method that makes you feel more comfortable uh, using it to prevent pregnancy as you'd like to, or as, as you're mentioning, um, to be able to manage cycles, deal with cramps that, that people have, um, and that birth control methods like the pill can sometimes help with. And so I really appreciate um, that question. And in terms of the reasons why people were using uh, birth control in the book, aside from uh, preventing pregnancy, that definitely came up. So they would use it uh, to help them regulate cycles if they had more regular cycles they would use it um to help uh work with cramping if they had heavy uh heavy cycles uh they would sometimes use it uh because they had heard that it could help them clear up their acne and so there are reasons other than um pregnancy that people used their uh, you know various types of birth control uh and that it obviously gives people a lot of freedom to be able to not only prevent pregnancy, but also to just be able to make having a menstrual cycle a bit more comfortable uh, for people who have particularly challenging and, and painful menstrual cycles. And so I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about the power of the pill, not just for giving people freedom over their fertility, but also for just being able to help them uh, live uh, better lives in, in the various ways that birth control can help them do that. We have just a, about a minute and a half left. I want to see if we can sneak one more call in here. Amanda in Detroit. Amanda, welcome to Detroit Today. Quickly, what's on your mind? Hi. My concern is around um, the health risks um, that may be greater than women are aware of and that the medical providers are sharing. In particular, I know um, two women in their 20s, um, one a competitive runner who had lung blood clots and one was in the hospital um, and at risk um, of not surviving. And um, they contributed both of those to the birth control. Um, another is my cousin's wife, um, a smoker in her late 30s or early 40s, got a um, life-changing stroke. Um, and then and the health risk of STDs and HIV from um, women who are pushed by their partners to, um, to use um, birth control instead of the condom. Um, and also long-term spotting um, and there's some of the concerns that I have. Thank you so much for that call, Amanda. Uh, Dr. Littlejohn, like I said, we have just about a minute left, but I'm wondering uh, briefly if you can respond to Amanda's concerns and comments there. Absolutely. I would say the the risk of blood clots from using these methods is very low, but as you're mentioning, uh, it is possible that people can have blood clots. 
And so what I suggest that people do is just talk with their providers about their concerns about blood clots to understand more of what that risk looks like um, and to be able to find a method that they feel is comfortable for them and that will work for them. But I'd also add that a big part of, of the message that I'm trying to communicate with the book is that reproductive autonomy is really important. And so I appreciate this question about or this concern about people being exposed to STIs because their partners won't use condoms. And so I, I just want to encourage us to make sure that reproductive freedom um, and reproductive autonomy is a central part of our conversation when we're talking about the power of the pill so we can make sure that it fulfills its promise. Dr. Crystal Littlejohn, Assistant Professor of Sociology at the University of Oregon and author of the forthcoming book titled Just Get on the Pill, The Uneven Burden of Reproductive Politics. I could have talked to you for hours, Dr. Littlejohn. Thank you so much for joining us on Detroit Today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fantastic. Coming up next is America's mental health moment finally here. We'll discuss and I want to hear from you. This is Detroit Today. 